Please be seated. Before we start our lesson this evening, I just want to give you some good news from uh, Vermont. Uh, Kirk Israel uh, texted me, and some of you may have already seen it on Facebook, but they had another baptism. A lady by the name of Sarah Tiplin Keys, and I believe that's the third baptism they've had in quite a little short period of time. So uh, we are grateful for that, and we rejoice with the Green Mountain Church of Christ and Kirk and Karen and all those brethren up there. And, uh, you know, especially this time of year, nobody gets out this time of year. So maybe you have a captive audience. Maybe they can't get out, and so that's a good thing. I don't know. But uh, appreciate uh, Kirk and all the work he's doing up there. Uh, I, you know, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called by Bible people synoptic Gospels. And that just means, you know, synonym. We know what that words that mean the same, synoptic. And when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they follow a similar pattern. Uh, we find many of the same stories and encounters and teachings in all three of those, the parables and different things like that. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written fairly early in the history of the church. And I think one of the reasons was, and one of the reasons that they're similar is, is they all wanted to get out the same idea very quickly. And they focused more on the majesty and the godhood, uh, the divinity of Jesus. You know, the son of man, the son of God, and, and all these different uh, descriptions we have in those three gospels. John comes along much later, uh, almost at the end of the first century. And he writes his gospel, and you can tell immediately as you begin to read, John is a little bit different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In the book of John, uh, we find a lot of stories, a lot of encounters that we didn't have in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, And John is coming along at a later time, and his focus is on the humanity of Jesus. Because you see, by this time... They'd already gotten into this this Gnostic thinking where Jesus couldn't be God and man. And everybody had bought into, well, he was God. He was the son of God, but he really wasn't man. You know, he was really, he he just couldn't. And so John comes along, and that's why we have so many of the descriptions in John where it talks about being hungry and thirsty and tired and certain human aspects that we don't necessarily get in the other Gospels. But one of the other things that I truly enjoy about the Gospel of John are the individual encounters that John uh, reveals to us. They're lengthier than what we see in the other three Gospels, where in the other three Gospels, it may be Jesus came along, he saw a blind man, and he healed him. Well, then in John chapter 9, we have Jesus heals a blind man, and we have a whole lot more background as to what was going on. The woman at the well, and all the woman caught in adultery, and all these different things. And so, for the next few weeks, at least a little while, we're going to be looking at some of the encounters that Jesus had with individuals, particularly from the Gospel of John. And I've called this face-to-face with Jesus. I think we did this maybe on Wednesday nights a few years ago on, on, uh, in the adult class, but this will be totally different. Uh, 
So I wanted to, to, to look at that and think about that. And it kind of mirrors a little bit what we talked about this morning. As we look at the encounters that Jesus had and the experiences that people had with Jesus, we need to kind of ask ourselves, what kind of encounter have I had? What kind of experience have I had with Jesus, with the Son of God? So tonight I wanted to start with uh, the man named Nicodemus found in John chapter 3, beginning verses 1 through 21. And we know this story. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you do not acknowledge or accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Now, John reveals to us a few things about Nicodemus from the very beginning. First of all, we find out that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were, there were essentially two political parties in the Jewish religion. There were the Pharisees and there were the Sadducees. And the Pharisees were the stricter, uh, more conservative uh, more by the rules group. The Sadducees were a little looser. You know, they, they weren't so keen on necessarily all the rules and things like that. And, and so they were a little easier going. But the Pharisees were, were very strict. They followed the law, interpreted the law very strictly. They were the keepers of the law. Jesus often came into conflict with the Pharisees. And you recall, especially in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus really hammers down on the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, 
You teachers of the law, you hypocrites, you vipers, you generation of snakes and all these things. And he starts talking about all the bad things that the Pharisees did. I think it's important to understand that not all the Pharisees were probably of the type that Jesus was speaking to in Matthew chapter 25. You know, they were the ones that didn't care about anybody, didn't care about the the heart of the law, just the letter of the law. And, you know, you could do whatever you wanted to. You could, as long as you followed the law, it didn't matter what else you did and, and all these different things. And he called them the hypocrites and the brood of vipers and all that kind of stuff. And in general, that's probably what they were. But I don't know that we can say that every Pharisee was like that. Because I see a little something different in Nicodemus. I was telling Ronald, I was watching a show last night about the end of uh, World War II and an interesting thing that I had never, I I had no idea about, but it was, it was two days before the the signing of the peace treaty and, and, and Nazi Germany surrendering unconditionally to the allies. And there was this lone tank commander, a lieutenant, which is the lowest of the officers in the, in the army. A lone tank commander is sitting there on this road. And this German SS officer, now the SS, they were the mean ones, okay? They were the ones who did all the concentration camps and the killings and the murders and all the, I mean, they were, they were the worst of the worst of the German army. And he comes to this lieutenant in his tank with the white flag and he says, there is a castle up on the hill there in Austria up on the Austrian Alps. There's this castle up there. And there are several French prisoners being held in that castle. Some of them had been generals. Some of them had been a former prime minister, I think. And the sister of Charles de Gaulle was one of the uh, people that was captive up there. And this SS officer says to the lieutenant, you need to come rescue them. Because if you don't, the other SS troops are going to come and they're going to kill them, execute them before the end of the war. Now, this lieutenant thinks to himself, I don't think so. (laughs) This sounds like a trap to me. So he goes back to his commander. You know what his commander told him? Do whatever you think. So this 27-year-old lieutenant takes this German officer at his word and they go up the hill and they're with him and they go through roadblocks and the Germans let them right through the roadblocks and they go up to this castle and sure enough, here were these prisoners. Although they weren't prisoners anymore because everybody left. They were by themselves. And they hadn't been there but a little bit and what the German officer said was going to happen happened. And the German army, the SS armies came around and began firing at the, at the castle and all these things. The Germans who were left in the castle helped the Americans and returned fire on the German SS that were, were advancing towards this castle. Now, I only say that because if you were to say to me, an SS officer... I would go, ooh, they're all horrible, they're all bad, they're all evil, they're all wicked. And this guy, I don't know what he had done up to this point in the war. 
But at this point, he was doing the right thing. Nicodemus, I think, was sincere when he comes to Jesus. He may have been a Pharisee, but there was something different about him and all the other Pharisees that Jesus seemed to have conflict with. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling council. Uh, So he was a very, very important person. Now, a lot has been made, has it not, over the years? You've heard sermons on Nicodemus, right? About the fact that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. At night. And I probably have, myself, not given Nicodemus the benefit of the doubt. Why do we believe that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night? Because he was afraid. Because he was ashamed. Because he didn't want anybody to see him. I think there's probably good evidence for that. However, I was reading in a commentary and brought out something very different. Maybe Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because that's when it would have been easier to approach him and have a one-on-one conversation with him. It would have been very difficult to have a one-on-one conversation with Jesus in the middle of the day when all the crowds were around him. Well, I never thought about that. Well, I'm going to give Nicodemus the benefit of the doubt, at least for a little while. may not last long. So this morning or this evening, I want to make some points from this encounter that Jesus has with Nicodemus. And as we sit here, first of all, we notice that Nicodemus had faith, but not faith. He kind of had faith, but he didn't really have faith. Jesus often encountered those whose faith was not where he wanted them to be. Whether it was Peter and the other apostles from time to time or other folks that uh, he encountered. And maybe even us. My guess is no matter how old we are. No matter how long we've been in a relationship with Jesus. Our faith still needs to grow. Our faith is still not where God would want it to be. Hopefully it's better than what it was before. But there's still work to do. I believe that Nicodemus came sincerely. Look at verse 2. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, a term of respect right there. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. I take it. I don't believe that Nicodemus was sucking up. I don't believe that he was just trying to flatter Jesus. I believe this is really how Nicodemus felt at this point. And maybe some of the other Pharisees. Now, the others are going to change their mind later on. But at this point, Nicodemus says, Rabbi, you have to be from God. Because there is no way that anybody can do all these miraculous signs that you are doing. Except that he comes from God. Now notice Jesus' response. It seems a little off the mark to me. Seems a little inappropriate for what Nicodemus had said. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, 
We know you must be from God because of all the miraculous signs. Nobody can do them unless it comes from God. And Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And I'm sure Nicodemus is like, what? Where'd that come from? Nobody's even mentioned kingdom of God. Nobody's even mentioned being born again. What? What, what does that have to do with what I just said? This is it's interesting that only here in this section do we have the term kingdom of God used in the book of John. Lots of times in the other gospels, but only right here in chapter 3 in this discussion with Nicodemus. But Jesus basically says, okay, I see where you're at. But let me just really quick get to the point of where you need to be. Okay? It's not enough just to say kind of, well, I'm, I'm beginning to believe you. I, I, I'm begin- Jesus is like, we talked about this and we talked about, you know, not a fan, a fan or a follower. Jesus wanted total commitment. He wanted Nicodemus to be all in. Throughout the conversation, right, does it not become clear that Jesus is talking on one level? And Nicodemus is thinking on another level. We'll see this over and over and over again in the book of John as we look at these encounters. When Jesus is meeting the woman at the well and she's, he's talking about living water, which you, if you have this living water, you'll never get thirsty again. He's up here, right? And she's down here. Ooh, I want some of that so that I don't have to keep coming back to this well every day. So Jesus is talking on a much higher spiritual level. And Nicodemus is thinking on a very humanistic level. Now I've mentioned this before. Don't be too hard on Nicodemus. You and I have had years of understanding about what it means to be born again. We've heard that term our whole lives. We've used that term. We understand what it means to be born again. Nicodemus had never, ever heard that phrase. And so when Jesus said, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. What are you, what are you talking about? What do you mean born again? I mean, surely you're not saying that you, you know, got to actually be born again out of your mother's womb. That's just, that's just... Uh, If we'd never heard that phrase before and somebody said that to us, you don't think we'd be just as confused as Nicodemus was? I know I would be. I know I'd be just as confused. But Nicodemus was on one level. Jesus was on another level. Nicodemus had a seed of faith. But Jesus was wanting to take that seed of faith and move it. And move it rapidly, in a sense. Allowing our faith to grow requires, first of all, that we listen to Jesus. Now, I don't know exactly how this happened, but I wonder if Nicodemus interrupted Jesus. You can't really tell for sure. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And then immediately Nicodemus says, well, how can a man be born again? Maybe if Nicodemus had let Jesus finish his thought. 
Maybe, I don't know. But I know that for our faith to grow, we have to listen to Jesus. We also have to, beyond listening, we have to listen without prejudices or preconceived ideas. You know, it's important for us. I know it's important for me. As much as I've studied the Bible and much as I know it is important for me to read passages and try to forget about everything I always thought the passage said. See if I can come to it fresh without any preconceived ideas and see if it speaks to me the same way. And I believe that that is important. And then we have to respond to what Jesus says. Nicodemus was struggling, but Jesus was patient, patient without being unyielding, if that makes any sense. He was willing to let Nicodemus have his questions, but he also wanted Nicodemus to make a decision. He wanted Nicodemus to make a commitment. Nicodemus wasn't quite ready for that. We'll get to that in a minute. Secondly, the point we get is that you can have religion, but it not be as well in our society religion does that have a positive connotation or a negative connotation I think it's a little of both isn't it probably a little of both and even in the bible it has those two kind of opposite effects Positively, it can mean service, worship, and obedience to God. James 1 and verse 27, James says, This is pure and undefiled religion before God, that you visit the widows and the orphans in their, in their time of need, and that you keep yourself unspotted from the world. This is religion, and it's good. You serve God, you serve others. But then on the negative side... Religion can become simply an adherence to an institutionalized set of beliefs or practices. In other words, I don't know why I do what I do. I don't know the meaning of what I do, but I just do what I do because that's my religion. Remember Acts chapter 17, Paul is uh, there in Athens. And he says to the people, I perceive you to be religious in every way. Because he'd seen all their idols. He'd seen all the, the evidence of their sacrifices and the things. that they, He'd seen evidence of their religion. He said, you're very religious people. But you don't know God. So let me tell you about God. No doubt, I think, that Nicodemus was a very religious man. Again, he was a Pharisee. And a member of the Sanhedrin. And even Jesus called him Israel's teacher. Jesus returned the term of respect. When Nicodemus comes to him and calls him rabbi. Then Jesus calls him Israel's teacher. Now, he shows him a sign of respect and then says, you're Israel's teacher, but you're not understanding what I'm saying. I believe that he was... Religious. The idea of being born again was not only confusing to Nicodemus, but offensive as well. Baptism was not a new thing to the Jews. Baptism was used if there was a non-Jew who wanted to become a Jew. 
There were several things that they had to do, you know, to make that happen. And the last thing was a baptism. So they were used to that. They were used to ceremonial washings and things like that. So it wasn't that, you know, the whole idea was something totally new. To suggest that Nicodemus needed to do something beyond what he already was doing seemed unimaginable to him. I think that's what got Nicodemus. Wait a second. I'm a teacher of the law. I'm a Pharisee. I've kept all the commandments. And now you're still telling me there's more that I have to do? You got to be kidding. Remember, that's kind of the situation Jesus got in with the rich young ruler when the rich young ruler said, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the law, what's it say? Well, don't steal, don't do, you know. Jesus said, well, yeah, go and do that. And he said, well, I, I have done that. I've done that since I was a kid. Okay. Thing you had, give it to the poor. Jesus kind of was saying to the rich young, you haven't made that total commitment. You're religious, he says to Nicodemus, but you still have to be born again of water and spirit. He tells him that eternal life is found in looking to Jesus in faith and not by just keeping all the rules. There is a warning for us. Our religion or our religiousness will not save us. Our religious heritage, while helpful, building us a foundation, will not save us. Being religious or just being a moral person will not save us. Having a deep knowledge of the scriptures will not save us. Nicodemus knew all the facts of the scriptures. And yet he was able to, unable to understand the truths of the scriptures. We never want to get caught up in thinking. That because we do religious things, that that is the same as being saved. That that is the same as having faith in God. That is the same as being, you know, in a relationship with him. Isn't that the entire message of the Sermon on the Mount? The entire Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, the rules say, The scriptures say, don't do this. But I tell you, it goes beyond not doing that. It goes to what's in your heart. It goes to how you treat people. It's not enough just to not kill somebody. You got to love somebody. You got to serve others. And so religion is not the same as faith. And thirdly, faith is not a private matter. This kind of piggybacks on our lesson this morning as well. We live in a society that expects that when it comes to religion or our faith, that we adhere to a don't ask, don't tell mentality. You can have your religion, just don't bother me with it. Okay? You, you can believe whatever you want to believe, just don't force it on me. Don't bring it into the 
school. Don't bring it into the workplace. Don't bring it into the marketplace. Don't bring, you do whatever you want to. You can believe whatever you want to. Just, just leave me out of it. Leave me alone and don't press it on us. Keep it to yourself. Nicodemus seemingly was a covert believer. He seemingly really didn't want others to know that he was coming to Jesus. Again, I think, you know, I'm, I'm swaying myself back to my original thought on Nicodemus, why he came at night. I think it's because he was afraid. I kind of do think that. Otherwise, maybe why wouldn't he have brought somebody else with him? Oh, no, he didn't want anybody else to know that he was going to see Jesus. He didn't want to get in trouble that way. He reappears for a while twice in the book of John, twice more. In John chapter 7, the Sanhedrin, they're getting all worked up over Jesus. And they're about ready to kill him. And Nicodemus stands up and he says, is it lawful to do this without even hearing him out? Without giving him a trial in a... Is Nicodemus professing a personal faith in Jesus? He's just making a legal argument. Basically, in our terminology in America, he's saying he deserves due process. You know, everybody deserves due process. And so he could go out on a limb a little bit and defend Jesus legally. But no way is he making any kind of a public statement about any kind of faith or any kind of belief that he has in Jesus. The next time we see Nicodemus is after Jesus has died. And Nicodemus goes with Joseph of Arimathea and takes the body. And washes the body and prepares it for burial and puts it in the tomb. Again, I don't know. Maybe that was a public display. Whether it was done kind of privately again. You know, we don't ever hear about Nicodemus anymore. I would like to believe that at some point Nicodemus came to realize who Jesus was and came to have that faith that Jesus wanted him to have. Jesus said that we are the light of the world, not to be hidden. He said and gave to his disciples and us the great commission. And we see the courage and evangelistic spirit of the early Christians in the book of Acts. And our faith, too, is to be an open faith expressed at times by teaching and preaching and always expressed by the way that we live our lives. Being ready, as we talked about this morning, Peter said, to give an answer to those who ask a reason of a hope. We live in a society that has made Christianity a dirty word. Being a Christian is not cool. Being a Christian is not a very positive thing in our society. And we have let Satan and the world kind of push us into a corner 
and in a cave. And I don't mean that we need to be militant. I don't mean that we need to be obnoxious. But we need to be open. And we need to be courageous. And we need to be vocal to some extent about our faith and about what we believe. Because if we don't, how is the world going to hear? How is the world going to know that there's, there's something else? There's an alternative. And what Christianity has to offer is good. The problem with us keeping silent is that then it's the, I don't know any other, I'm just not going to be polite. <laughs> it's the wacko Christians that get all the press. You know what I mean? The crazy ones. They're the ones that get all the press and they're the ones in that has the world. See, look, look at, look at that. You know, they did this and they did that. And that's what Christianity is. Well, we need normal Christians to stand up and say, no, 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 no. We're about loving people. We're about serving people. We're about trying to save people. That's what Christianity is about. And there's, you know, there's extremes on every side of everything. And if all that is ever seen by the world is the extreme, then they're not going to want any part of what we have to offer. Or they see us being the light of the world. The more opportunity we have to share the good news of Jesus. We cannot be satisfied with a faith that really isn't faith. We have to put it into practice and commit ourselves to Jesus. We can't be satisfied with being religious. That's not enough. And we can't be satisfied with a private, secret faith. We have to share it. These are some of the things we learned from this encounter that Jesus had with Nicodemus. If there's some way that we can help or encourage you tonight, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D. C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol dot com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 818- West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.